Hey, everybody. Nice. Three of you are excited. It's good. <clears throat> we are officially halfway through our Epiphany series on the letters of our Lord. We're at week five. There's four more Sundays to go. And if you're just joining us, what we've been doing for uh, January and February is looking at these epistles that Jesus wrote, the, the seven churches in Asia Minor that are found in everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's been a really good and really hard study, um, but I'm, I'm proud that like our church is at 20 people now after starting it. So y'all have been coming back. Thank you for doing that. Um, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we, we want to do this was about halfway through, I wanted to pause um, there's seven churches, there's nine weeks of Epiphany, and so we had some time to really, in the spirit of these letters that the Lord sent to these churches, to say, well, if Jesus were to write an epistle to our church, what would he say? That'd be kind of neat to, to hear. Um, you know, most of the um, letters have two things. They have an affirmation and an admonishment or a correction. So I'm, I know you're super glad you came to church today. It's going to be good. There's also this theme in Revelation um, the theme of lampstands. And what we find with John is that he sees Jesus and he's in the midst of these seven lampstands and he interprets it for us so we don't have to guess what are the lampstands. The lampstands are seven churches. So each lampstand is, uh, is seven churches, or is one church. So there's this idea of, of the church being a light in the midst of the world, okay? And so we're going to uh, pick up on that. We're not going to read from Revelation today. But we're going to um, look at two scriptures that have been on my heart. One of them is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and the other one is in Luke's Gospel. So if you have um, a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. It's page 810 if you're using the uh, pew or chair, folding chair Bibles. And um, I really love the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard to improve on, on Jesus' sermons and at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is what's called the Beatitudes. And then right after the Beatitudes is this section on um, salt and light. So let's start in verse 13. Everyone there? Ready? Here we go. All right. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and I think to us, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And he gives a different metaphor. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. Remember that theme of lamp stands in Revelation. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I want to just point out a couple of things here in Matthew chapter 5. There's the image of salt. You've heard the phrase, other oh, salts of the earth type people. What does it mean? Um, what is salt good for? Um, salt is aseptic. It's not an antiseptic, it's aseptic. And the difference between antiseptic, and if you didn't know, I didn't know until this week, is that an antiseptic cures disease. But aseptic can't cure disease. Aseptic prevents disease from spreading. That's the difference. So you can tell your mom that when you go home, that you've learned the difference between antiseptic and aseptic. Aseptics prevent corruption. So the image that Jesus gives um, his followers and his us is how we are to function when we are following Jesus is that in the world, uh, we're not called to cure disease or corruption. God just asked us to prevent it from spreading. Uh, this would have been an image that the fishermen would have been familiar with because they didn't have yetis back in the day. It's a new invention. And so they, when they would fish, when they, when they speak in the fishermen, when they'd catch fish uh, to keep them from going bad, they'd salt the meat put it in some ice, and that would help uh, the meat stay fresh and, and prevent bacteria and things to get out of control. So this is um, an image that's hitting the heart and the practice of these fishermen. Um, but really what he's meaning, I think, is it's an inward and a silent metaphor. That's, that's good to know just from a literary standpoint, what Jesus is speaking of. When he says, you're the salt of the earth, 
he's speaking of this characteristic that we as followers of Jesus have. And it's, it's an inward thing. It's a small thing. It's a silent thing. You don't hear salt. Salt is kind of small. You, you can miss it. It's a very subtle thing. Uh, but if there's a wound and it's present, you can feel it. And you can certainly taste it. And so that's kind of this image. And if we move on to the next image that he gives us, he gives us kind of uh, the kind of opposite of an inward and a silent metaphor. He gives us an outward and a visible metaphor. He says, you are the light of the world. In John's gospel, uh, John highlights where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So we know that, that when Jesus says that we are the light of the world, it's because he's in us. He's really the light. We're just the container. And he gives us an image. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel or a basket. Anyone know that song? They put it on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that it will give glory. So, so salt is an inward and silent metaphor. Light is an outward and visible um, metaphor. Now, here's kind of the lesson. Ready? Here you go. It's no use being the light of the world if you don't have any salt. In fact, I think, my opinion, is that m- most of the harm done by the church or by God's people in the world is because we've been the light, but we haven't had the salt to back it up. This is the world's number one complaint of Christians, is that we're hypocrites. We don't actually do the things we say we believe. We're, so in the world's eyes, we're an annoying flashlight with no substance behind us. And so being salty is very important when we're talking about being the light of the world. And uh, I think our church is pretty salty. <laughs> You're a salty people. You know, we take the love of the Lord very seriously. We take the scriptures very seriously. We take worship of God very seriously. Um, it's, uh, I think it would be very difficult to be part of our church for a long period of time and be a casual Christian. It's very, like, like there is... Uh, an element of saltiness to you. I hope that's a good thing. Um, but one of the things I hear the Lord saying to us is, uh, don't, don't hide your light. Don't, don't put a, a bushel, don't put a basket over your light. Let your light shine bright. So I want you to take that image of salt and light, set it to the side, we're going to add to it. Go to Luke 19. This is an incredible chapter or section in the scriptures, and I'll give you... Um, the context here um, is right before Luke 19 is Luke 18 where we get the parable of the persistent widow, we get the Pharisee and the tax collector, we get where Jesus says, let the little children come to me, and we get the rich young ruler, which is like all of those, if you've had any church experience, each one of those stories and parables has been talked on continually for good reason. They're awesome. And then um, chapter 19 is Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Anyone have that song when they were a kid in church? So, so Luke 19 follows that with another great story that if you've had any time in church is the wee little man. And then if you jump to 19 verse 28, you get the triumphal entry. So what we're going to find out is in between um, Palm Sunday. I mean, this is on Palm Sunday before... Jesus gets on the donkey and heads into the city. He tells this parable, the parable of ten minas. Now, what I just, I want us to like seriously consider Luke 19 here, okay? Because Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, is the first domino that begins in Holy Week. Okay, Jesus has been continually going to Jerusalem. Like it actually says, he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. So, like, he knows death is imminent, his enemies are there, and he is intentionally going to Jerusalem because on Thursday he'll be betrayed, on Friday he'll be crucified, on Saturday he'll be silent in the grave, and on Sunday we find that he's resurrected. So this is like the high point of the story of God, the high point of the Christian worship calendar is Easter Sunday, right? So a week before, seven days before Resurrection Sunday, he tells this parable. I don't think Jesus casually throws it out there. I think Jesus intentionally says, okay, before I knock that first domino down that's going to end with the crucifixion and resurrection, I first need to prepare you for what to do after all of that. So Luke 19, huge deal. I'm going to read it and we'll unpack it. Uh, We'll start in verse 11, the parable of the ten 
mean is. Okay. As they heard these things, the disciples, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling 10 of his servant, servants. He gave them 10 minas. And he said to them, and this is the thing I hear the Lord saying to us, engage in business until I come. So just for cliff notes, salt to the earth, light of the world, engage in business until I come. I think if Jesus were to write us a letter to our church, those are the things he would say. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your light. I'm investing in you. Engage in business until I come. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the, the, these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow, which is a lie. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was severe, a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, question mark. He's not admitting to it. He's just using his logic back on him. The punctuation is very important there. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And he said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, which is incredible, we'll unpack that, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Vision Sunday. All right. But again, this is told right after the wee little man, the famous uh, Sunday school Zacchaeus story, and right before he gets on the donkey to go towards the crucifixion. So a couple of things that I want to highlight. I want to go to verse 13. Um, this is really incredible. He calls 10 of his servants, and he gives them 10 minas with the instructions, engage or uh, trade or occupy um, in business until I come. One mina is... Three months wages, so I don't know what you make, but times that for month, times three, and just assume that's what Amina is for you. And he gave them 10 of those. So he gave them 30 months worth of their wages, which is two and a half years of capital, which is pretty crazy, right? And he gave that to 10 people. Now, what's crazy, at the end of the parable, he says to the guy who was faithful with those 10, who got 10 more, he said, you're faithful with very little. You'll be you'll be given more. So the guy who hands out 30 months, two and a half years worth of capital times 10 people says that's a little. It's incredible, okay? So this is, uh, sorry, this is the story here. Now, verse 15, when he returned having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now that is, I'm not a businessman. I'm not a CEO. I'm an artist. I'm a builder. I'm a teacher. I'm a creative. I'm not a CEO. And so this really challenges me because Jesus tells this parable right before he tips that first domino on Holy Week. And it's a business parable. And there's this, the idea is he comes with investment and he expects a gain, which is something that sometimes the church struggles with because we, we, we're okay with operating on losses or losing money. 
And uh, in the business world, maybe takes it too far where it's all about making money. But here, he tells this parable saying, I'm expecting an increase. I'm expecting fruit. Over and over, Jesus will tell parables of a tree that doesn't bear fruit is going to get pruned or cut down. Like, like God owns the world, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And so he expects just reproduction. This is what is hardwired into creation. And he tells this parable here, and it just really convicts me, because I don't think of, let me do business to gain, because I lead a nonprofit. <laughs> the first came before him saying, Lord, now this is incredible. He says, your mina. This servant has the, un, the wise understanding that everything that this king had given him was the king's, not his. He says, your mina made 10 minas more. And the result was because he was faithful with that, he was given bigger opportunity. Now, what I want us to learn from this guy, he had a clear understanding of at least three things. The first is he had an understanding of where his resources came from. The second, he had an understanding of the intended purpose of those resources. And the third, he, had the ex he understood what the expected outcome was. He knew whose this mina belonged to. He knew what the mina should be, should be engaged with. And he knew what the results should be. And Jesus, uh, you know, the guy in the parable who is kind of like Jesus, commends him. Another one comes in verse 20, says, same thing, here is your mina. Not verse 20 later. You know, there's another one. I'm going to jump to the third guy, verse 20. The third guy comes and he says, Lord, here's your mina, same thing. But he was not clear or he was just disobedient in the intended purpose of that two and a half years of salary. He kept it in a handkerchief. He buried it. He, with grace, received some type of investment from this king with the intended purpose to engage in business until the king comes back. Clear instructions. He received, he took whatever that investment was, and instead of being obedient to the king's orders, he buried it. Sure is quiet in this little Methodist church. <laughs> We're not Methodist. Okay, it's a joke. Sorry. I love the Methodists. They're awesome. So um, here's what's crazy, okay? He's the villain in the story. The person who receives from God and buries it is the villain in this story. So convicting. And he gives this excuse saying, well, I was afraid of you because you're severe. If somebody gave you two and a half years of what you make, is that severe? <laughs> no, this, guy's, this is an excuse, okay? Some people read this as it's his truth, and they think, oh, this guy's being hard. No, no, no. Someone comes to you and says, I'm going to give you two and a half years worth of salary. I want you to do some stuff with it. I'm going to come back and check in on you. That's not a severe person. It's a very generous person. He says, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Wait a minute, no. This, the king deposited and sowed into the sky. Absolutely not. So the king says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. And he uses his logic on him, which is why I highlighted that uh, the end of that verse ends with a question mark. I don't know where, which one is on there, but you see it. Okay, so he says, if you believe that about me, if you believe that I was severe, you would have at least put it in the bank and got interest on it, which is Jesus' way of telling this parable. Like that guy, it wasn't a legitimate excuse. He was just lazy or he's disobedient or whatever. So the thing that stands out to me is in this, par this incredible parable right after Zacchaeus, right before Jesus mounts the donkey and heads into the city. Before the palm branches comes out, he tells this parable, warning his disciples, and I think warning us, that he's coming with things to invest in all of our lives for the purpose of investing it for him, for his name, for his glory. And the villain is the one who just sits on it and buries it and doesn't do anything. So these are the, the two things that if I'm, if I, if I am thinking about our church and, and, uh, and I've, been, I've been thinking about this for since like November, it's like, Lord, what are you saying to us? It's kind of audacious to, you know, put words in Jesus' mouth for a group of people. And I'm, I'm not fast to do that. These are the two scriptures that are just on my heart for us. 
is one, you're the salt of the earth. Two, don't let your light be hidden. Three, I've invested in you. Don't sit on it, okay? <clears throat> now, if you'll allow me to uh, read the letter I think Jesus would write to us and take it or leave it, okay? Here's what, as a as pastor of the church, here's what I think I hear God saying, okay? Now, I'm not perfect, and I could get this strong, but here's my best attempt at putting my ear to heaven and saying, Jesus, what are you saying to Gathering Midtown? Here's what I think Jesus could be saying to us. I have placed you in a significant place at a significant time for a significant purpose, to bring health and blessing to the people of San Antonio. I see that you're salty. I know that you're serious about your love for me and your love for others. Don't let your light be hidden. Make sure your light shines bright for all to see. I've invested in you everything you need. Stop burying and wasting the resources I've given you. Invest it. Engage in business until I come. Allow me to grow you so that you can love and bless more people for my name. That's my, my best attempt. And I've got tears, and I don't cry. <laughs> I think that's what Jesus would be saying to us. Uh, I told this story in um, the fall, but in the summer, I was on a pastor's retreat in um, Buena Vista, Colorado, and we spent five days out in the national forest away from people. And there was a, my roommate was a guy named Gare. He was uh, from London who moved to L.A. who planted a church very much like ours in L.A. And he had this accent, so he always called me mate. And, um, and so he gave me a nickname, and so I thought, Gare, that's a weird name. So I, I nicknamed him Gare Bear, which he didn't love, but I continued to call him <coughs> Gare Bear. So, uh, so this was me and Gare Bear are having this conversation on the mountains. It's raining. We're under this tarp, and we're waiting for the storm to pass. And we're just talking about ministry, and I'm at, like, tell me about your church, and we're talking about ours. And out of nowhere, he just starts talking about the kingdom of God, and and it's just an incredible conversation. And then he drops this quote on me that I haven't stopped thinking about since the middle of July. And uh, I, I put it on here. He said, um, he said, Drew, and I can't do his accent, but you can imagine his accent. He says, the kingdom of heaven is a collaboration between the people of God and the spirit of God. And he keeps telling that over and over and over again. And then at the very end, he says, but the spirit of God is not a nanny. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he'd say it again. Drew, the kingdom of heaven is a collaboration between the people of God and the spirit of God. But the spirit is not Mary Poppins, you know? And, he, and, and I'm just like, what? we're like at 11,000 feet. Uh, the altitude's getting to me. I'm like, explain what you're talking about. And he said, so often he sees in his church that God wants to do something, but the people expect the Holy Spirit to do everything for them as if the Holy Spirit is Mary Poppins. And uh, it just really convicted me because how often I do that, I, I expect God to do everything for me. And, I, and yet the kingdom is this collaboration. It begins with him. He takes the initiative, absolutely. But he also, just like the parable of the ten minas, he invites his people to come and to collaborate with him and to partner with him. The, pro, the wicked guy at the end of that parable thought the Holy Spirit was Mary Poppins. He buried it. And the sad thing, and, and, and we read the end of that story, it's like the king says, bring those wicked people and I'm going to slaughter them. That's so serious, but it tells us how high this king um, sees the stakes. And the stakes all around us are just as high. That God's not cool with investing in us and us just throwing it away. Because he's not investing in you in whatever way he invests. Just for you. But it's for more of his sons and daughters to be blessed and to find health and freedom and wholeness. Thank you, buddy. Give him a raise. <laughs> it's so great. Please memorize. It's so, it's so great. Thank you, Gare Bear. He probably, he probably isn't happy I'm doing that. So, so this, is, this, is, uh, this is Vision Sunday, uh, you know, uh, the first Sunday of February and then the Sunday after Labor Day. Those, those two times a year, we try to set aside some time to say, this is what we think God's saying to us. This is where we sense his presence leading us. His spirit is not a nanny. We want to invite you to come, throw your handkerchiefs away, and engage with us. So that's what today is. Um, 
And um, I, I want to share a couple of things. This should not be a, a shocker to any of you who've been around for a while. If you're new, I hope that this is what you are experiencing. But over and over again, for probably four or five years, I, I have a, a, a filing cabinet in my office that's a super secret keyed filing cabinet. And it's like this deep, and there's this much paper that has stacked up over five years. And, and it's from emails or letters or notes that people have given me. And almost all of those pieces of paper that stack up this much have some um, vocabulary of when I came around the gathering, the, I experienced God's healing and blessing. I experienced his peace. I experienced gentleness. I, we'll use different words, but at the end of the day, what they're saying is, I'm experiencing a gentleness here or a peace here, and I, I can catch my breath. I can find healing. My faith is being restored. There's some version of that. And so uh, let's go to, go to the next slide here. Um, this is who God's called us to be to be a people of health and blessing. What's he called us to do? This is why I get out of bed. This is why Shari and I sold our house in, the, in suburgatory seven years ago to come down here. You'll get it later. What's he called us to do? God's called us to build a sustainable, long-term presence of the kingdom of heaven right here. Okay, we're not here because um, it's the cool place to be. In 2011, when the Lord really put it on Shari and I's heart to come down here, like the pearl wasn't a happening place yet. In fact, people thought we were crazy, and I thought we were crazy. And then about a year later, all these apartments pop up, and these restaurants in it suddenly look like we were geniuses. But we weren't. We were just obeying God's voice, saying, leave the suburbs, come down here. And I, you know, I had a couple questions, because it didn't make sense. We're not hanging out here until we can afford some land on the loop somewhere. I, my heart, and all of our hearts, I know, because I know you, is we want to see a church that is a people of blessing that isn't going anywhere in, in downtown or surrounding downtown. Because they're, they're just an incredible season that our city is in of developing and redeveloping. There's this incredible like renaissance that's happening in downtown San Antonio. There's a ton of young people moving down here and a ton of empty nesters who I mean, look around. And um, there's not a whole lot of churches. And the churches that are kind of really visible are... Are, most of them are on the decline. I've talked to their pastors. And most of, the, most of the people in their churches drive in from Alamo Heights or from, like, there is a giant need for a church to be um, embedded in the culture in this area who are made up of people in that area. And that's, that's like, I'm not stopping until that happens or, or God calls me away. That's why I get up every day. That's what we're called to do. Um, and so I, I want to uh, share with you a tool that we do. If we have your address, we have, uh, you should have received a, a big envelope. Uh, ra raise your hand if you got one of these so far. All right, good. If you didn't get it, um, it's either we didn't have your email or is the post office's problem. So, um, but um, we did not intentionally leave anyone out. And we have a bunch of copies out on the foyer if you want to grab one. Um, they look like this, and this is, we do this, I think this is our fourth time to do this, and I know many of you are new, and you weren't here at this time last year, but we, we try to do this every year, which is to make, come up with some sort of creative blueprint that just communicates to everybody, here's what we sense God doing. And it's not perfect, and it's not um, complete, and it often kind of changes a little bit. Um, but I know it's easy to be, in a, be a part of a church and not know where it's going and wondering where, or the division changes and no one tells you. Uh, and so this is our effort to say, hey, this is where we sense God leading us to invest our minas and to grow so that we can establish a healthy, long-term church that is a blessing. Okay, Does that make sense? Good. All right. Well, I can say it again if you want me to. So um, if you did not get one of these, you can go to our website, gatheringmidtown.com. It is right on the front page. You can download it. You can go to our Facebook um, page, and there's a link there. Or if you want a paper copy, it's in right as you walk out, you'll find it. I want to encourage you to grab one. Um, I want, I just, if you were like, I want to know, know how to pray for the church, this is the best tool right now how to pray for the church. You will know exactly um, where the pain points are and where we need to grow. Um, I'm not going to go through all of it. That's for you to do. But if you look, look at the, um, the middle, when you, whenever you download it or you open it up, if you haven't already, in the middle, there's just this phrase that says, make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus. Everything we do comes down to that. 
Jesus called us to make disciples, to, to uh, mature, um, immature disciples, and to multiply healthy disciples. And so there's um, at least seven areas, and it's not comprehensive. There's areas that aren't on here, but there's at least seven areas that we want to uh, give our energy to that will help us more effectively make, mature, and multiply for Jesus, okay? So um, I just want to uh, tell you about three, and they're the top three, I think, that are on my heart, um, but I'm not trying to leave anybody out. Um, but the first one is, if you look around, we're out of space. And for a couple of years, it's been a, um, a pain point. Since the fall, we've consistently hit about 90 to 118 people um, on a Sunday. Um, I think last week we had like 104 or something. And so we've never consistently hit that number. But in the fall, we started uh, kind of bursting at the seams. And I don't know many of you, um, you know, stood in the back or, or whatever. And so uh, this is something that we're really asking the Lord to do is... Um, for us to continue to grow the mina that God's given us, we need more space. And I've been, um, I've been uh, denying that for a couple of years because <laughs> um, the I, I, Lord brought us here. It was a cool story, and I like kind of being out of the way. But one of the reality is, is it might be good to have more than one bathroom, <laughs> maybe. And, and most importantly, uh, we're, our space is not serving our kids very well. And as our kids are growing, and as they're growing in numbers and in life stage, um, it's not ideal to minister to the little ones that, that are in our church. And so um, I think for many years, this facility has served us well, um, but at least for a year, it has not been serving us as well as we need it to. And so um, just this is probably the number one limiter of our growth right now is this facility. Uh, another thing is uh, we're kind of under a bushel here. Every time I tell people where our church is, they're like, where are you? And it's like, Google it, please. You know, like, like we have a great light, but I kind of—I don't know that we're on a, a lampstand here. We're kind of hidden away, and I've—I like that. I kind of like that you have to know. It's like a speakeasy church. You got to know the password. <laughs> I personally like that, but I feel the Lord saying, um, you know, it, it, sh- it doesn't need to be hard to find God's presence. And so many, so many times this year, people have come, like catching their breath, saying. I'm so, fu- I'm so glad I found the gathering. And I'll ask him, like, well, how long were you searching? And, like, I, I looked at 15 churches. Or one guy's like, I looked at 28 churches. I'm like, okay, it shouldn't take 28 churches to find us, you know. And so um, I, I, would, I would love for the Lord to, um, to take care of this for us. Are you ready? I was talking to uh, um, actually Bishop Sandy um, when he came a few weeks ago. He made a comment of how, He's like, we got to find you a bigger space. And he just asked this question. He said, well, you know, why hasn't it happened yet? And um, immediately this thought came into my mind that I did not like. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from the Lord. Um, and I thought, Lord, why have, you know, Lord, our need. So why hasn't it happened yet? And I felt the Lord say, because as a church, y'all haven't fasted and prayed for it yet. So... Um, I think one of the things that we want to do in a, probably around Lent is to enter into maybe a six-week period of uh, prayer and fasting for this number one need in, in our church. And um, I do not really have the desire to call up a real estate broker and make something happen. It's much better when God opens the door and brings it to us, and that's what I'm voting for. And so um, we're all going to fast every meal for six weeks until God does it, Okay. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Um, so I don't know. One idea is like you know, Friday facility fast or something, and you know we just uh, either pick that day or pick a meal on that day. And what if our entire church got around one day at one meal or for the entire day, and we we fasted and prayed and asked God to open a door so that our light would shine brighter and so that His mina could make more minas. So that's 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 kind of top of, of my priority right now. Um, the second one is increase um, our ability to minister to kids. When we started, we had zero kids. Now, you know, if they all come, there's like 23 or 24, and there's at least seven women I know who are pregnant in the church that I haven't told anybody yet. So they told me. I'm not telling. I'm not outing them. But uh, you know, y'all are y'all are growing our church. Well done. Keep drinking whatever that is. And so the. Um, I'm glad you're still with me. 
So this is something uh, we are, we're in the middle of, of uh, interviewing a kids pastor, and we think we, we found the right one, and so hope, we hope in a couple of weeks to be able to um, share that news with you. But this uh, kind of revamping our kids' ministry and, and, and just building on top of what the ASOLs and what the Batches and what the Conrads have done over the last six years, we're just going to continue to build on that foundation. And that's a big part of our thing. And the last one is our gospel community. It's not the last one, the next one. Uh, that's our heartbeat. And so we, last year we went from zero to six gospel communities. And I'd love to go to 10 or 12 this year. Um, and so those are just a couple of the things that we're trying to give our attention to. So I want to invite you to look at that. There are, I'm going to ask you to do four things, okay? This is, we're going to end here. And I did this in September, and it was amazing. It was actually kind of hard for me to do, but it was incredible, the response that, that came from these four things. Um, if you're with us, if you're new, maybe this is your first Sunday, or you've been with us for five years, whatever, I'm asking every single one of us to do four things, okay? And some of you are just doing one. Some of you, I'm going to ask, continue. Add on to the one you're doing. Some of you are doing two. Add on to the two you're doing. Some of you are doing three. Add on to the third. Some of you are doing all four. Keep doing all four, okay? But I want you to do four things. The first one is to commit to, to worship. The second is to join a gospel community. The third is to serve people. And the fourth is to give regularly. The first one, commit to worship. Um, it's common in our day, and it's common, especially in my generation, to not take um, assembling for worship seriously because of the sins of the institutional church. And I get it. There's days that I wake up and I don't want to go to church and I tell Shari, I'm sleeping in today. She says, get your butt out of bed, you're the pastor. <laughs> like, get out, you know, I'm here. Today was one of those. I woke up not feeling great. I'm here. I want to ask you, um, will you consider the assembly of the brothers and sisters so important that you would make it your, your, your top priority on your Sabbath? We put a lot of effort into doing this. And um, I, I know y'all have done that in the fall, and it's great. But I want to encourage you, if, if, if church is, is this casual thing, I just say, hey, you can do better. Um, and, and also, I want to celebrate, in the last year, like seven months, TIFF has hit like a grand slam. And uh, all of our teams are awesome, but man, worship has just taken this next level. With can we give her some love? Come on. <clears throat> Give her, as she says, give her some claps. That's good. Thank you, Tiff, for loving us and serving us well. Um, in Lent, which starts, I think, March 6th, we're going to study the life of Joseph from March to the middle of April. I'm really excited about that. The theme of Joseph is, um, where is God when life hurts? And so I'm really interested to dive into all the chapters of his life where there is significant pain. Um, but he gets through it, and at the end of the story, sees God work through him in pretty amazing ways. So that's going to be our Lent study. I want to invite you to, to join us for that. The second thing is, if you're not in a gospel community, um, I want to encourage you to find one. Um, this takes a commitment, but it is so worth it. We have five right now. We'll throw their names up there, and you can hassle them. The Staffels Freemans will be on Tuesday nights, and Miller's Benson's will be on Wednesday nights. Grace, you know, Friday nights, Jade and Amanda have a girls-only special secret club that meets on Thursday nights. And uh, <laughs> it is so true, believe me. And then uh, uh, Jake and our, our families meet on Thursday nights. We're just missing Sunday, Monday, and Saturday. So if any of y'all feel led to do those nights, let me know. But I want to encourage you, um, if you're not in a community and you want to be, Jake is the best point of contact. I would invite you to make him work. He works hard. But, but Jake's a guy. About 45% of our church is already in a GC. So I'm not sure what the 55% of you are waiting on, but we would love to be in community with you. Um, the third thing is start serving. About 54% of our church serves one another in our church. And we have a couple of ways you can do that. We'll throw a list up there. Um, but as a family, it, take, it just takes hands. Many hands make light the work, you know. It takes effort to do this. So um, there's a lot of, these are just easy ways you can serve. Um, but then there's a ton of other ways you can serve that don't match this. One example is um, uh, uh, Tanner, who's not here. He serves us by helping us with our graphics. And he's got, there's, there's something that uh, Jake's going to tell you about at the end of service that he did. He volunteered, served us to bless us. So uh, can't wait for that. And then uh, our boy Jose back there is working on some videos, an incredible video guy. And he's helping, um, you've probably seen him run around with a camera today. He's serving our church 
by helping us create some things for our website. So if there's a gift, if there's a mina that God has given in your life and it might not match those five teams, let us know how you'd love to invest that and we'll help you. Um, again, if you want to serve, Jake is the best person to talk to. The last one is everyone's favorite subject is finances. Give regularly. Wherever your money goes, there your heart follows. And wherever your heart is, there your money goes. That's just the way it is. Um, there's a, a great quote that I love, and it's called, money is muscle for ministry. What I've learned as a pastor, you like that guy? What I've learned as a pastor is money is neutral. It is what you make it. And if you have a bad relationship with money, then you, you contribute awkward feelings to the topic of money in the church. If you have a healthy relationship with money, you, 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 um, you give joy to that. Um, money is muscle for ministry. And this, here's the reality. The more money we have, the more muscle we have to do stuff. One reason why we haven't been able to have a larger facility is we don't have the money to do it. It takes a lot of money to be in this area. And so if, um, if you have not consistently given and done it with joy, I just want to invite you to start. Uh, whether that's just you know, starting at 1% or 2% or 5% or going, just pulling the Band-Aid off and going to 10 um, Shari and I have always given at least 10% of our income at the first of the month for our entire lives. And we've never been hungry. We've never gone without. God has always met our needs. I don't tell you that to brag. I just, we're just dumb that we trust him. And he has taken great care of us. And he takes great care of our kids in a million different ways. And I think one reason is because on the 1st and 15th, we just always open-handed. And, um, and it's a priority for us. And so I want to invite you to, to test God and to do that. Um, less than half of our church gives regularly. The reality is, is our ministry is severely hamstrung because half of our church hasn't functionally learned how to trust the Lord in this area of worshiping him with a pocketbook. And it's an area that we have to grow in if we're going to see the Lord's Mina um, increase in our, in our presence. Um, I want to share some, um, some great news with you and then ask you to do something. Um, if you look at, uh, if, if you, you, on the back of our ministry plan, we have um, some graphs. We'll show the first one. This is um, the finances for our church in 2018. Um, and it's a little complicated, um, for a really incredible reason, but I want to show you something. Just follow me. Um, our ordinary income this year ended up being just over $255,000, and our ordinary expenses ran just under two hundred fifty-three, almost 254000 You see kind of the percentages that that's broken up in. We give 10% of everything that comes in. We, we believe in tithing as a church, and so we give 10% away every month. And um, we actually, we were expecting to run a loss of about 20000 this year. And we have, a, we have an emergency fund. We were able to, to um, cushion that. But by God's grace and favor, um, we ended in the black 1500 bucks. So praise God for that. Now, here's why it's complicated. At the end um, of the year, the ch- our church received an anonymous donation of $400,000. And so the next slide shows how it complicates things, which not complicated. This is, this is reality. Go to the next slide. And so uh, this is what it did to our budget, is it put us 361000 in the black, right? So I'll show you the first slide to show you that us were just making ends meet on a ghetto-efficient budget. And so if I, I wanted to show you this, uh, but I don't want you to walk away going, oh, man, they got a lot of money. They don't need me to give. That's not true. <laughs> not true. And so, one, we just, I'm praising God for, for, for that incredible, just out of, out of the blue. That's the Lord giving us a significant mina. Don't you agree? Yeah. What we would like to do is to set that gift. We, we first thing we did was we gave 10% of it away. So now we have 360000 which hints the number there. What we would like to do is to set that aside for an emergency slash future facility fund. Because um, if we get a bigger space that's twice the size, it's going to take some money. And um, we, we don't want to dip into that. If we have to, we have to. But we'd like to set that aside 
I, my opinion is the Lord gave that to us because he's about to um, give us an incredible opportunity to double our capacity. And so I, I don't think that that came in just for any reason. I think the Lord's getting ready to do something powerful. So um, praise God. I just want you to know, we're, we want to set that aside. And um, 2019 is uh, show our, our projections for 2019. And um, with our increase of expenses and what it takes to do our ministry, um, and this is without any, uh, this is with some additional, like hiring a kid's pastor. Um, this is not, like I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get a raise or anything, is um, we're right now scheduled to lose $43,000 um, next year if we continue doing what we're doing right now. So that equals, I think, um, about 3700 bucks a month. Um, and so number four is really important for us is um, if you do not give regularly, we have a $3,700-ish, I don't know what the math is, it's around there, loss each month that I'm pretty sure we can make up if we all just were obedient to the Lord and, and gave. And so um, what I don't want to do is to take um, that incredible donation that the Lord gave us and start eating into it um, because many of us are just being disobedient and hiding the investment in our handkerchief. And so I know it's a hard word, but I want, to, I want you to see the reality for the next year. I think the Lord wants to do an incredible thing in the life of our church, but it takes all of us not seeing the Spirit as Mary Poppins and collaborating with what he's doing. Um, final thing is in your ministry plan, um, we have what's called a promise card. And I want to invite you to take this to pray about it, and to fill it out. We have one online if you want to um, fill it out. There's a link on the digital version. Um, even if you give regularly, I want to ask you to fill it out. I say that every year and no one does it. Shari and I are going to fill one out, and we're putting one in, even though we give regularly. Um, what this does is it helps us um, come to these numbers and know what to expect. It also gives you an on-ramp to do what is hard. I hate doing this. I hate saying, hey, will you fill this out? What I've heard from feedback from people is that there's been many people in our church who wanted to give and then they forget. And when I got up and gave them a piece of paper, it triggered um, an action and they were actually really grateful that I said, hey, we'd love for you to start giving. It's awkward for me, but a lot of people found they wanted to, they just kept forgetting. Um, and so I want to encourage you to, um, to take this seriously. Last word on it, I don't see these. These don't come across my desk. I don't look at them. They go to um, our treasurer, and uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who gives what. And we intentionally, I want to stay in the dark because I don't want to see dollar signs when I look at you. I just want to see brother and sister that I can love. And, and that's very important to me. And so um, I want you to know, we take that seriously. We don't police it. It's between you and God, and it helps us do our budget, and it helps get you on board, but we don't police these. So if, the, if there's any weird feelings about it, we'd love to talk to you about it, because my guess is the Lord's doing something in that. Okay, I'm going to have a good nap later today. <laughs> so, I think God is going to do something incredible this year. And um, just like we saw, and thank you, Tiff, for singing that song, I know that a breakthrough is coming, not just for us, but for our community but it's going to take all of us to collaborate with the Spirit of God. And it's going to take all of us to not bury in the handkerchief all the different gifts and talents that God's given us. And so I just want to call you to, will you join Shari and I and all the leaders of our church to get on the train and to join what God's doing and to see what he can do through us and to see how the 10 meanest he gives us makes 10 more so that he can be glorified. It's an, incredible, it's an incredible journey. It's an incredible privilege that I get to be on the front row to see this. And so um, please do that. Please take it seriously. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we just reflect back on how you are the good shepherd and how you leave the 99 because your heart breaks for the one that's out on the edges that is being attacked by the wolves. 
God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to join you in that. Thank you for being strong in the midst of my weaknesses. Thank you for growing us from six people, $600, to where we are today. Lord, we don't want to lose your heart for the world, for the lonely, for the lost, for the left out, for the neglected, for the marginalized, for the poor, for those who are wounded and hurting. God, we don't want to do church as usual. We really do love you. And we want to be faithful with every cent, every dollar, every opportunity, every person, every gift. And we want to see that grow so that more people can experience the life change that we've experienced. In this season of our church, we just beg you to do what we cannot do. You know our needs. You know our opportunities. We just don't have what it takes. We need your presence. We need your power. Wherever there's strongholds that are keeping us from joining you in whatever way you're calling us to join you. I ask that for the remainder of this season of Epiphany and even for Lent, that you would overcome the powers of darkness that are oppressing us and keeping us from being the people that you've called us to be. Where we're not healthy, God, I ask you to make us healthy. Where we are immature, God, I ask you to make us mature. Where we are complacent and lazy, I ask that you would help us to multiply. Not for our kingdom, but so that the kingdom of heaven would push out the kingdom of darkness in our community. We ask this in your wonderful name.